Welcome back to the fundmonitors.com Manager Insight Series. I'm Damon Purcell, the COO of Australian Fund Monitors. And today I'm joined by Jonathan Wu, the Executive Director for Premium China Funds Management. Premium China are a boutique manager offering Australian, uh, Asian equity, I should say, and Asian fixed income funds. Um, and today we're going to be specifically talking about uh, Asian fixed income. Jonathan, thanks for joining me today. No worries, Damon. I suppose, Jonathan, I'd like to start off with what are some of the challenges and associated risks for income-seeking investors going forward, given zero interest rate environments? Yeah, that's a great question, Damon. So ultimately, what investors are facing now is for the foreseeable future, we're still looking at zero rates. Um, or even if it increases, it's not going to be that meaningful because at the end of the day, investors need to make real income, right? So taking into account inflation. And over the last 30 years, we've effectively seen interest rates structurally come down. And if you consider the most aggressive sort of uh, interest rate decreases in recent history, that was post the GFC. And since then, materially, we haven't actually seen rates go up. And that's the problem, because if we look at how, you know, interest rates sort of fuel the economy, is that when the economy is on fire and really, really going gangbusters, then interest rates go up in preparation for the next crisis. But before we really had a material chance of doing that, along came COVID. So we basically had a double negative hit on interest rates going down structurally. And if you look at a 30-year chart, that's exactly what it looks like. Now, in that environment, one of the things that most Australian investors don't understand is that when interest rates go down, there is capital gains to be made on bonds or the price of bonds go up. And so investors in the last 10, 20 years have experienced really, really high total return rates on bond funds. And these are really secure government bond funds, a lot of investment grade debt. But the story is also true vice versa. When interest rates finally do go up, investors are going to face with capital losses. And so if you consider Australian and international uh, government bond funds at the moment, what you have is while you may still be able to get two-ish percent as a cash yield, so the actual yield on those bonds that, that um, fund managers are paying you that are holding those bonds, every year till the maturity of those bonds, there is an offsetting effect with capital losses. What do I mean by that in simple terms? Effectively, if you look at Australian government bonds today in an index fund, what your the investment proposition is, you're going to buy a set of very safe and very secure Australian bonds um, for about $116. Then over the next seven-ish years, you will make 2.8% uh, in cash yield, cash in hand. So you get paid $2.80 in that sense. Um, but at the end of that seven years, you're only going to get $100 back. So you're basically locking in a capital loss. This is the biggest challenge that is facing fixed income investors. And so there are a lot of new generation style products that are taking things a little bit differently. Um then if we move over to somewhere like um, China and we're talking about fixed interest, there's been a few pandemic-driven corporate defaults and, and sovereign downgrades over the last 12 months. Uh, and um, China Harong Asset Management um, remains in the news. What, I suppose, is driving these defaults? And is this an opportunity or a minefield for managers? And I suppose as a second part, um, are the days of Chinese government um, guaranteeing state-owned enterprises, is that, are those days numbered? 
So a couple of things to unpack there. Um, the first thing is, is let's sort of go back in history and define what China Huarong is, because they, they were on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald back in April. Um, and basically the story was Chinese uh, state-backed government debt is about to go into default. And there's this big headline and everyone sort of starts freaking out. If we actually dig deeper and look at the genesis of a company like Huarong, it's actually a bad debt company. And to be very clear, we, we haven't invested in any Huarong bond. So the government created Huarong and two other entities in 1999, post the Asian financial crisis. And the essence of these three businesses, while they look like you know, public um, you know, operating corporates, what, they're actually, what they effectively are is that they house bad debt in China. So if there's other government entities that look like they're facing default, uh, inability to repay capital. Huarong is one of three companies that, co that the Chinese government will use to absorb it and house it. So if you're buying a, a, a Huarong piece of debt, um, it sort of sounds a little bit like some of those AAA rated debts that you saw in the United States um, prior to the GFC happening. They were repackaged out, uh, well, basically bad debt, repackaged, given to an external credit rating agency, given an investment grade rating, and then pushed out to the market. So the reality is in, is in April, um, Deloitte, who is the auditor of the China Huarong Asset Management Company, refused to issue its audit report. Now, let's face it, any auditor that refuses to issue an audit report, you probably think that there's a problem. Then on top of that, the, the company, which is a listed entity in Hong Kong, um, stated that they have delays in releasing the results pending a transaction. There was no transaction. Um, and effectively, they just had very, very bad debts that were going very, very pear-shaped. And what we saw with those bonds is that they fell over. Um, and they didn't fall over in terms of default, but they fell in market price and they halved. Now, when you lose 10% on the face value of a bond, that's a big deal. If you lose 50% on the face value of a bond, that's catastrophic. Okay, To give you a, a, a sort of a like-for-like -like comparison, Greek sovereign debt, if we were to sort of go back 10 years ago during the Euro debt crisis, um, Greek 10-year debt went from $100 to 30 in about two weeks, right? And so that was on the brink of absolute default and mayhem in, in Greece. Um, and so that's the equivalent that you see in what happened in, in earlier this year with Huarong. Do we see those sort of scenarios in, as an opportunity? No, we certainly do not. There are plenty of opportunities for us to invest. But the thing is that, the, the, the story about Huarong has led people to, to sort of use a broad brush method, as most people do, um, with places like China is like, is saying, oh, there's this one bad piece of debt. That means the whole market's bad. Okay, this company's gone bad. It's not getting an order report. Um, it's not getting its financials released. It's got to be bad. So for people like us that are on the ground, when you see movements um, in the fixed income market at this level, we sort of take a step back and say, is there indiscriminate selling of bonds in the market? And if there is, that's actually a prime time for us to go, hey, can we find companies in maybe similar sectors, um, but they're actually being sold down because of a broad brush, broad brush beta sell-off? So in those sort of scenarios for us, we are very, very confident that the Chinese government will start unwinding its ability to back and guarantee state-owned debt, which is sort of the second part of your question, Damon. Mm. Um, and on the back of that, we believe the credit agencies 
credit rating agencies need to revisit their valuation methodology. Because the other very interesting thing about Huarong is that after the bonds fell by half, guess what? S&P, Moody's and Fitch, which is the three largest um, credit rating agencies in the world, all were still rating Huarong debt as investment grade. Investment grade debt isn't supposed to fall by half in value. And so that's one of the reasons why we don't use any of those research houses or credit rating, rating agencies to decide or determine what we can and cannot buy. Mm. Um, well, I, I think, you know, your, your comments regarding that broad brush approach is, is a big one. And in fact, I was looking at some data that had come out today where, uh, you know, uh, the expectations for China, you know, often based on you know geopolitical outcomes, have, have have seen investors moving away. And a particular manager that was quoted saying, "We see this again as an opportunity." Uh, but on that broad brush idea, um, we do hear a lot about leverage in China. Um, what's the government doing, and have they put any policies in place to ensure that bubbles don't form um, as a result of this leverage? So. Considering the context of our portfolio and, and what we're trying to target for investors is a 6% distribution, okay? Now, the, the biggest part of the fixed income market across Asia is property, and it makes up about 65% of all debt that's issued. So if, if you're trying to build a portfolio, and, and even though we are benchmark unaware, all our ideas are sort of granular and bottom up, um, we, don't, uh, uh, we have historically had a higher allocation to property. Okay, historically speaking. And the reason why we have is because um, we know that with a property company, if they were to go belly up, you know, when you're buying a bond, what you're trying to hope for um, is that if something was to go wrong, how much can you recover? So our CIO, Gordon Ip, always uses this example with investors and says, um, if, if I'm comparing a fishing company against a property company, well, if a property company goes down, I take their land and, and property, right? Which has an independent verifiable value in the market. Fish is a bit different. Fish is a perishable good. And if they went down, the only thing I can recover from is maybe a boat, okay? And maybe some of the fish, right? But again, those would be distressed assets that I'm selling to the market. Probably not the best investment idea. So property has always been a core part of our portfolio. Now, one of the social issues that the Chinese government is trying to solve at the moment is the issue about the cost of property. And so last year, the government introduced something called the triple, the three red line rule, which effectively forces property developers to limit the amount of leverage that they have um, internally so that they don't keep going to market and raising capital to keep fueling their supernormal profits. And so the sort of the, the way to summarize what's happened in that space, because the government is concerned about leverage in property companies, is that property companies since 2020 till now, and until the government allows them to do otherwise, they cannot increase the net debt they have in the market. So if they've got $100 million of debt outstanding, they can't go and raise another $100 million in debt. They need to wait till that matures and they can roll that over for a fresh $100 million, but they can't net increase their level of debt. We think that's very good. But what has also happened is that with those high leverage um, levels of Chinese property, it's also led us to rethink our portfolio in terms of where we want to shift it to. 
So before, if we sort of go 18 months ago, and we're very, very active traders in our bond fund, we've gone from sort of 65% in property down to 22, which is a massive drop. And at the, at the expense of property, which sectors have we increased? We've increased um, materials because we believe in, in strong commodity prices over the medium term, as well as transportation, which includes airlines, as well as car rental companies, because China was the first economy in the world last May to open up. So a lot of these companies' cash flows have already seriously recovered, but they're trading below $100. So the key thing for investors to think about is leverage is, is a risk, and it always is a risk. But what you're trying to do in an environment where there is a potential risk in the medium to longer term that rates are going to go up is that you want to find bonds that are trading below $100 because it, it gives you the opportunity to win in two different ways in a bond fund. One, an attractive cash yield, which our portfolio is running about seven and a half now. And on top of that, we're looking at about 200 basis points or 2% capital gains per annum against our current portfolio. So it leads to a total return of around 9% for the next two to three years, assuming our static portfolio, which is not true, but it gives you an idea at a point in time that our track, that our portfolio is quite attractive. Mm. I think ultimately for a lot of people looking for um, what's can always been considered um, the conservative end of the market, um, the Australian part uh, and even the broader global part is a very difficult part to make money at the moment. So um, thank you for your time today. Um, very interesting as always. And good luck in 2021. For the rest Thanks, of 2021. Thanks, Jonathan.